Welcome to Sound Mind, the podcast dedicated to thoughtful, compelling conversations with musicians about music. I am Cameron West. Thanks for your patience. This episode is a little late. Many positive things have come up in my personal life. Good things, but nonetheless surprising and requiring my immediate and undivided attention. But here is episode 21. My next guest, cellist Amanda Gukin, has one of the most interesting career trajectories I know of. She went on a post-undergrad three-week Europe trip and then decided to stay for three months, and then she just decided to live there in Barcelona and teach English. And then she moved back to the States and was a veterinary technician. Her music and travel schedule now is out of control, so let Amanda be your evidence that your career path can bob and weave and still get you where you want to go. In fact, the most interesting careers always seem to go that way. The Kennedy Center will soon present Amanda's solo cello project, Forward Music Project. She's also been in residency at National Sawdust with Forward Music Project. Amanda's string quartet, Public Quartet, just funded a successful Indiegogo campaign for their next album to the tune of about $20,000. That album is entitled Freedom and Faith. And the quartet was just featured on the New York Times' Five Minutes That Will Make You Love Classical Music. We talk about all that, and Amanda gives a detailed history of Middle Ages composer Hildegard. It was a fascinating conversation. I was so happy to have her. Please welcome Amanda Gukin. I realized two things before coming here, or as I was leaving. I walked out my door, and I realized I didn't move my car, and I realized that you don't live in Manhattan, you live in Brooklyn. Mm. And so I decided to drive here, and it only took 30 minutes. Yeah, it's not bad. Amanda, welcome to Sound Mind. Thanks Thank for you. coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having me. How's everything going? What's new? Um, well, let's see. It's September, and the concert season has started, and so it's like everybody's, I don't know, I'm struggling with the end of summer. When I came back, I, I was gone for, for most of the summer, and when I came back, I realized that um, it was over, <laughs> even yeah. though it's not officially over, but now the like all the work of this coming season's starting. Well, I know you were in Vegas. Where else were you, and who are you with? I So I started out the summer um, in upstate New York at Alfred University at a music festival that I play at. Um, every, it seems like it's every summer now called Most Arts and it's really fun. Um, one of my best friends is up there. He plays the cello so we get to, it's like a week vacation for us. <laughs> um, and I was in Florida, in Miami, rehearsing with an ensemble I play with called New Deco. Yes, and I love them. Do you love that? Yeah, yeah they they're are so good. awesome. My I have friend, the best time with them. I have two friends that play with them. I'm not sure if they're I know Kendra Hawley is one of their oh, main yeah. members. Oh yeah, she's so fun. I know, she's the most fun. And uh, Molly Wyrick Flax mm -hmm. also, who went to Bard with me. Yeah, they're, that's such a cool ensemble. I really want to play with them at some point. Yeah. Hint, hint. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, what was that like? It's really fun. I went down there for rehearsals and then we all traveled up to New York together because we played at SPAC, which is a um, music festival in Saratoga Springs super awesome really cute town um, we played on the main stage and the audience was really receptive and Andy Akiho came and played as a guest artist and we did a few of his pieces I love collaborating with him so it's really fun because it's the the group actually 
is a smaller version of the, the larger orchestra, so it's called New Deco Nucleus, and it's a chamber ensemble that goes down, um, or that, that can travel easily, and um, so it's some chamber works that are meant for smaller ensembles and other of their arrangements that are pared down. And it's really fun because, you, you know, it's a string quartet and then a limited brass section and percussion. And so it's, um, yeah, it's really intimate. That's great. And where were you after Miami? Then I, um, I went down to Kentucky and I was in Lexington doing a performance of the Ford Music Project, which is my solo project. And um, there's a really great organization that started a few years ago called The Girl Project in Lexington. And they, uh, every summer they have workshops for a select group of teenagers in Lexington and or in the surrounding um, counties as well. And they have workshops uh, and discussions based on issues that affect teenage girls in America today and um, or just teenagers in general. Some of the things they talked about were gun violence in schools and um, assault and body image and LGBTQ issues. Um, and so they work with teaching artists all summer uh, and write, um, they, they do a lot of free writing and they basically write a script for a show and the teaching artists help them hone it into um, a through line performance and they did three nights in Lexington and so they invited my project to come down as the opening night performance and I also got to work with the girls and we threw um, some word association and found objects, we created a sound installation based on um, the experience of being a teenage girl. That's great. Did you play cello in the sound installation? I did at the very end. Some of them were musicians but none of them were aspiring to you know, go to school for it or anything. And some of them were not musicians at all. So we, in the workshops, we, we created graphic scores and then the girls paired off into their own groups and created um, a piece based on the graphic score imagery that we came up with. And they found, they had different found objects and they had um, words and phrases that they were using. And so they came up with their own. And uh, so each group performed um, consecutively, cohesively, uh, one after the other. And then at the very end, we all improvised. I started playing the cello and we all improvised together for a little bit. And then my set started. Well, that's so much fun. Yeah. That's super cool. And then you ended up in Vegas somehow. I did. I went to, first I went to Maine uh, on a residency Canazo Hall with Shattered Glass, which is an awesome uh, string chamber ensemble. And we played some really great music that spanned you know, we played arrangement of Imogen Heap, we played Stravinsky, we played um, Pascal Labeouf, so it's like, you know, wide range of rep, and that was really fun. A lot of ping pong, um, and uh, it was great to, at night we got to hang, and I got to get my competitive game on. <laughs> yeah, it seems like music festivals are about 30% ping pong and drinking and 70% music. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, usually in rehearsals it's very democratic and there's a different kind of vibe that goes on when you're, um, you know, working with your colleagues. And then at night it was like, okay, <laughs> game on. <laughs> and then I went to Vegas. Yes. Uh, Sin City. <laughs> How much money did you lose? Ask Sarah Haynes the same question. Yeah, just $35 on a breakfast buffet. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's really lost. That seems like an investment to me. It was an investment. Sometimes I have luck, and so I bet if I 
tried the slot machines. I maybe I could have just like hit on my winnings and become financially, you know, free for the rest of my life. But um, I didn't take that risk, and I am what's known as a cooler. <laughs> it seems like every time I come to say hi and see what's going on, everybody starts to lose. So I just like stay away from you know, the craps tables and things like that. But it's really fun to watch people gamble because it's, it's a true spectacle of humanity. It's very true. And so I saw on Facebook most recently the Kennedy Center is presenting one of your projects for the mm -hmm. second time? Not, well, I'll be in D.C. for the second time. Uh, the first time I was in D.C. with Ford Music Project was right after the premiere last year, last March. I was invited to go down um, by the Canalis Project to um, speak at TEDx Mid-Atlantic. So I talked about the project and um, issues of uh, diversity in classical music and programming. And I performed a few of my pieces from the project. And then I also had a really awesome opportunity to perform in partnership with Canalis Project and Vital Voices at the Swedish Consulate for an event that was honoring four women across the globe who are doing amazing things in their communities and their countries to better their communities and create a, a better world for everyone around them. So it was a really cool, really cool project. So now, then a year later, I'll go back to DC and the Kennedy Center is presenting Ford Music Project in partnership with National Sawdust Projects. Um, I'm, in, I'm in residency there this season and um, I'm really honored that they chose the project to, to tour. I'm going down there with Katie Tucker, who's my artistic collaborator and video artist. And me. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm sort of like pinching myself. <laughs> That's amazing. You're traveling so much. You're just constantly going. Yeah, I, you know, I really like it. This was a, a long-term goal of mine because I, you know, I love New York City, but the opportunity to meet new audiences around the country, around the world, and also play with other musicians in different cities, because you know, there's different music scenes everywhere, and so I, I really enjoy jumping on the plane and going somewhere new and making music. That's fantastic, and your awesome hip. String Quartet just successfully funded an Indiegogo campaign for some recordings. Hell yeah. What's yeah. going on there? What, to the tune of 20,000, 25,000 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, uh, our goal was 20,000 and I think we hit about 21 or something like that. Um, yeah, that was, if anybody has done a crowdfunding campaign, it's, there's a lot of high stress involved, but it can be really exciting once you, you get rolling and you really start to see that okay, you know, you're gonna make it. Um, yeah. So we, yeah, we raised money for our second album called Freedom and Faith. The idea behind the album is, um, it's highlighting the works of women um, from, that spans a long period of time from medieval music of Hildegard von Bingen to today composers like Shelley Washington and Jessica Meyer. Um, and in between jazz greats, Ella Fitzgerald, Nina Simone, the idea behind the album is what inspires us to be the best that we can be and to create and also what do we hold on to um, as women that can keep us going in times that you know historically were very oppressive and remain oppressive in, in different ways today. So a composer like Hildegard would say 
back then in in the medieval times. <laughs> yeah, how good of a composer did you have to be to be successful as a woman back exactly, then? Exactly, yeah. So you were not allowed to be educated or write music unless you were doing it in service of your faith of God. So Hildegard was a nun. You know, if you worked in a, in a monastery, you were a nun at that time, then you could participate in music making. Um, different abbesses and uh, monasteries had different levels of um, education. So she just happened to work in one that was relatively more open than others, I think, because she had a lot of opportunities and created a lot of opportunities for other nuns around her. And most of her music was, was written about women, not written about male saints and the male depiction of God himself. Um, she was very forward thinking. And, um, you know, whether she admitted it or not was responsible for advancing you know, the roles of women in society at that time. So I, yeah, I would, I would love to talk to her today. The first thing I wondered when you said she made her music in the image of God, and you also said that you couldn't make music unless you were making it in the image of God, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg. Yeah. Was she saying it because she had to, or what might she have said right. today or in another right. generation. Yeah. And she's not the only, she's not the only woman that at that time, uh, a nun at that time who was quoted saying that as well. Um, and so it's hard to say. It's almost like Shostakovich writing for the glory of Stalin or for the glory of the USSR. You wonder, yeah, he probably was. It seemed like everybody was, but yeah. maybe not. Maybe there's this hidden component where she, really it seemed like she advanced the causes of female composers so early. When was she writing? Is this early Middle Ages or the Middle, Middle Ages? Ages, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, I can't wait to listen to some Hildegard now. I know, you're... it's really, I mean, she's, a, she's exceptional. Um, and yeah, the thing about, I think the one difference between her and Shostakovich would be that Shostakovich, I think, was in a different way find, fighting against oppression because he had to be secretive, secretive about it to get this message out. But I do believe that Hildegard did have a very strong faith. She did believe that she was writing for her faith. I don't, I don't get the feeling it was intentionally subversive. <clears throat> I think that she just did what she did. Yeah, she wasn't being tongue-in-cheek about it. She was being sincere mm -hmm. within the context of her faith at that time. Right. And yeah. that's awesome. And that's just such a crazy project in terms of the number of years that you're spanning as well for mm -hmm. female composers, because I think a lot of people think the history of classical music is a lot of crusty white guys. Yeah. And myself included, I didn't know that there was a Middle Ages uh, female composer other than Oh, so Hildegard. many. Yeah. yeah, there's so many. Once we start to get into, you know, from the Baroque era on when publishing became a thing, women were, were really not published like the music of men was. There was, you know, there were huge financial concerns, I guess, for publicists as well because it was very costly to, to copy and print and distribute at that time. But also there was this, you know, marketing <laughs> and that you had to, you know, there were tons of composers that weren't published at the time, whether they were male or female. It was one composer in particular that I'm thinking of is Fanny Mendelssohn. Um, because she was an exceptional, her, uh, her and her brother, Felix Mendelssohn, were very close and they inspired each other. 
to an enormous degree. And in their diaries, they in letters to each other, they credit that. It's not a not a secret that Felix was very inspired and proud of his sister and um, some of her songs. Uh, that she wrote made it into his song cycles. There are also some r rumors that uh, some of his works she actually wrote that he published under his own name. And there are letters uh, to each other that, you know, Fanny, um, this is, Felix was just starting to, to publish a lot of his works and Fanny had expressed that she wanted to publish as well. There is a letter that he wrote to his mother that is um, not condoning and also not opposing. It's written in a very funny manner where he says, if she wants to, she has my <laughs> blessing, but I can't help her do it. His reasoning was that it was very hard and she was gonna be set up for a lot of disappointment. He sounds like a lot of parents do today when they're discouraging their kids from going into music. You're mm -hmm. gonna suffer a lot of disappointment, you know, yeah. all of that, but it's, right. it's interesting. She wrote, over 200 works, I believe. And she didn't end up publishing until the last few years of her life. She wrote a letter to Felix and was like, I know that you are discouraging of this, but I just want to tell you that I have finally decided to publish with or without your permission. <laughs> and Aww. she went for it. And so she did get some works published, but there are so many others that just depended on families or estates to hold on to these manuscripts. I teach a class on women in music at Manus, and I played a work for them and asked them if a man or a woman wrote it and to guess the composer. And they all were guessing male composers. Um, and then finally it was, it was Clara Schumann. And I have also asked them to analyze some of Clara's music and um, a lot of comments that I got back were the simplicity of her music, that it wasn't as, not everybody, but I'm sharing, I'm sharing the comments that were more, the ones that were like, oh, I love her music, it's beautiful, are not the problem. And uh, this was after you had already told them that it yes. was Claire so Schumann. Before, one of one of the composers knew what I was up to. I mean, one of the students knew what I was up to. Yeah. She didn't say anything, but everybody else, Tricky, Even tricky. though they knew that we were going, that we were covering all women. I mean, it should have been obvious. But what, what, you know, some of the, some of the comments that I got back also in the analyzation of a score were that her music was very um, was cliche in a way and predictable, um, and that it was while it was beautiful, it um, wasn't as the irony wasn't as cleverly built in as it is in music by Robert, her husband, for example, or other composers of the time. So I wonder how they would do in a blind study where you had half of them, you gave them a sheet and you wrote the name of the composer and then the other half you didn't write the name and then you compared the comments to each other if they didn't know who wrote it. Mm -hmm. I wonder what would come there, of that. There have, people have done that. Um, they have done studies like that and I think the results were pretty ex to be expected. Gender, yeah. with a lot of gender bias. I'm not sure how I would fare in a Clara Schumann blind taste test, but I know you're a it's really hard. Professor. I don't, I don't know if I, how I would either. You know, I fully admit also that I have, yeah, I hold a lot of bias as well. It's there was another study that was really interesting that this professor was talking about, um, which was they had a number of subjects sit in front of a screen with 
some machine that had um, that was attached to their fingertips that would give them a, a little uncomfortable electricity. Not not something, you know, I'm thinking, I'm like recalling Ghostbusters, you know, when they <laughs> did the, the test in Ghostbusters. Um, but anyway, I'm dating, dating myself um, a little bit with that reference. But so they showed a number of faces, pictures of faces, all different kinds of faces. They would give an electric shock for some, some of the faces, some similar faces, they would do this for you know, faces of white people, faces of people of color, they would alternate it. Um, so they would show these faces over and over again. Some of them would be fine and then other faces would give you electric shock. And after a while, they would stop giving the electric shock. But when pe they could measure the sweat in the hands and the palms of the hands of the people, um, when they would show that face, their hands would start to sweat, whether they were receiving. So it was, it was very quick, the reaction that they had when they had sort of this association. It did not take very long for the physical manifestation of that fear to come out. Well, you have all these amazing projects. When does your album come out? It is going to be released in the spring of 2019. That's great. Yeah. And how can people follow you and your quartet and your solo project? Do you want to plug some social media for us? Sure. Um, well, it's pretty easy to find. Um, we, the quartet is publicquartet.com, uh, and this is kind of a funny spelling, so it's P-U-B-L-I-Q-U-A-R-T-E-T. -E um, and we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, my solo project is called forwardmusicproject.com, and same thing, you can find me um, uh, at forwardmusicproject.com or amandagookin.com, and Facebook, and Twitter, and all of that, so. That's awesome. Glad that everyone knows how to find you now. I know. <laughs> and, uh, well, I'm mindful of your time. I know you have to be off to National Sawdust in just a few. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming on Sound Mind. It was oh. a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you've been enjoying Sound Mind and would like to support it, you can find our website at CameronWestMusic.com soundmind, or you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com soundmind.